0: Good morning oh man i'm excited I'm excited um about this morning, but I'm just excited in general about what God is doing and what god's going to do I, I've told a couple of people this, but I'm probably more excited about what I feel like God is doing and about to do than I've ever been um even when we first started the church i I don't think I was this excited and and felt this amount of anticipation, and so I'm really, really um, looking forward to seeing what God's done, I, I are going to do, and and really just sensing a stirring. And we've been talking about that some the last couple of weeks, and we've looked at it out of uh, Joshua chapter one and two. I've read those verses, but basically it's where. God comes to Joshua, his, Moses has died and so there's a transition that's taking place and I feel like that's where we are as a church and the leadership is transitioning from Moses to Joshua and uh, this this generation who had sinned and would not enter into the promised land has passed and now they're about to enter in. And God specifically speaks to Joshua in, in verse 2 and he tells him to get ready and That's where I feel like we are right now in the last couple of weeks. um, We've been talking about getting our hearts ready, preparing, being ready for what God has for us. We're going to continue doing that today. Um, Today, we're going to be getting away from the reading plan. Um, And so we're going to be in Isaiah 61, and then we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 4. And so we're going to be talking about this and and looking more at this transition and more of what it means for us to walk in the spirit of God and to prepare ourselves and recognize even what God is preparing us for. And so I want to read uh, Isaiah 61. Isaiah uh, was a prophet uh, to God's people and, and he um, it's encouraging them in this chapter because they are currently in captivity when he wrote this. God has spoken uh, through his spirit to Isaiah. Isaiah is writing these words there to be an encouragement of what is to come. And, and I want you to see this, that these people are in captivity. Isaiah is going to tell these people that they're going to be brought out of exile. He's telling them that they're going to come back and they're going to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And he's really encouraging them that there are better days ahead in which God is going to really move. I want you to think about that because many times in the Old Testament, what we see physically is symbolic of what God is doing spiritually. And so for them, it was going to build a physical Temple. It was being restored in that sense that they are going to rebuild this temple that was destroyed. But it foreshadows and points us to a greater building that God is going to produce through the death and resurrection of His Son and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the building of His holy temple, the church, which is to be His instrument to renew the face of the earth, to glorify Him in all the earth. And so we see this this physical prophecy that points us to an even greater spiritual reality of what God is going to do. And so let's read Isaiah 61, and we're going to read some of Luke chapter 4. So Isaiah writes this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release They will renew the ruined cities and that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive in your inheritance My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." Let's look at Luke chapter 4, read a few verses there. This is when Jesus is beginning his ministry. He goes back to Nazareth. He was not born in Nazareth. As we know, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And he's coming back to Nazareth now after he's been out doing ministry. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. It's their place of worship. As was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Moment of tension here. He began to, by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, listen to this. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And so now Jesus, knowing what's in their heart, is about to flip the tables a little bit. He says, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Elijah was a prophet also to Israel. He says, and when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now this was extremely insulting to the Jewish people because what Jesus is pointing out to them is, look, God sent relief to this woman who is not a Jew. He has a, a greater plan than just for you, this, this one group. He says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so he, he's again pointing out that God's grace was working in these foreigners, but doing something that wasn't being done in Israel. So now listen, all those people who spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips are now all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I've always been fascinated by that scripture. It's almost as if Jesus is like going along with them, you know, okay, they're going to throw me off the cliff, Ah," you know. And then he's like, okay, enough of that. And he just leaves, right? Pretty cool. All right, so let's pray and and, and let's get into this message. Lord, today we are thankful, God, that we can hear your voice. God, that you speak to our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come now and open our eyes, enlighten our eyes, give us eyes that we can see. God, spiritually, discerning spiritual things. Give us ears that we can hear and discern spiritual things, things that are from your heart, Lord. And I pray that you would move in a mighty way, Lord, as you have been through worship. And, God, that you would continue to minister through your word, God. I thank you that it is alive and active. Lord, break through into our hearts, into this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, one of the things I've sensed, and, and, and I really feel like this has been true for some time, is I've sensed this little bit of a heaviness that it seems to exist over the church. It's, it's a heaviness that I feel like has been around for a while. Um, it, it feels to me like it's a little more in this service um, for whatever reason. And, and, and as I was praying this week, I felt like what God put in my heart is that we should just hit it head on, that we should just face it, that we should come against it. Um, in, in authority and in the name of Jesus that we should should hit this thing head on, say enough's enough, and, and begin to pray that God tears this down. One of the, the, the things I thought about, an analogy that came to my mind, uh, was when I was in college, and if you've been around long, you've probably heard my fled, fledgling stories of playing baseball at Georgia Southern. Um I watched more than I played, nothing very glorious, but I remember a lot of times they would schedule Saturday morning practices. We practiced almost every day, and when they would schedule the Saturday practices, many times they would start at around 8 o'clock, which was extremely early um, at that point in time, uh, being in college, right? And so I remember getting out there, didn't want to be out there, didn't want to practice, I was like, I just wanted to sleep, and now you're out there, and you're kind of getting loose, and And I remember several times that I would go up, and I'm about to go for my first at bat because we would have like an inner squad game where we divided up in teams, we'd play each other, did that a lot on those days, and, and I remember um, I would be on deck about to hit, and I remember thinking my my arms felt like they weighed 100 pounds, you know? I'm like I don't even feel like I can pick them up much less swing a bat the bat felt like it weighed 100 pounds and I'm thinking in my mind I'm like there's no way I'm hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball at this point right I don't feel like I can even move my arms and then one day I just felt like you know what I've got to I got to get some blood flowing I gotta I gotta get my my body moving and so that morning I just started swinging the bat as hard as I could uh, and, and I probably, literally, I probably swung the bat at least 50 times. I'm just swinging as hard as I can swing, just, just over and over and over and over and over. And, and what I started noticing is that the blood began to circulate in my body and in my arms and the muscles. They began to come alive. And, and when I went to the plate, I didn't feel so sluggish. I felt like, okay, maybe I do have a chance in this now because I felt more alive. I feel like where we are, church, and, and this is really in a place where we've got to make a decision about what we're going to do, and I feel like where we are is in a place where we need to really begin to swing. I feel like the church has grown sluggish. I feel like we've kind of uh, settled down. We've kind of gotten comfortable. I, I feel like maybe it started when we moved in this building on March 15th of 2015. I don't know if that's part of it. But what I'm telling you is God wants to do more than what we can imagine. I've seen him do that before. And the thing I can tell you in all of this is if it's going to happen, it's going to be because the Spirit of God begins to stir our hearts. We begin to swing in the authority of Christ. We keep swinging and swinging and swinging. We keep worshiping. We keep praying. We keep crying out. We keep pressing in. We just keep swinging over and over and over again against the powers of principalities of this dark world that wants to come in and cloak what what God wants to do that wants to put a heaviness over the church of Christ so that we can't do and become what he wants us to become but I'm telling you this that as we have sang all morning long there's authority in the name of Jesus and if we'll just stand up and begin to swing in the power of the Holy Spirit and we won't quit swinging we just keep on swinging then walls are going to begin to fall and God is going to begin to move. But we've got, this is what I've sensed for a while now. We've got to get to a place, it may sound kind of corny, but we've got to come to a place, and I feel like this is what's been stirring in my heart. We've got to get to a place where this warrior spirit begins to well up in us. We look at our own life. We look at the lives around us. We look at the world around us. We look at how God's being robbed of glory throughout the world, and we stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus. We put our feet firmly planted on the word of God and we say enough's enough no more we're gonna push ahead we're gonna keep swinging until the powers of the enemy fall and guys I'm telling you I'm telling you I know I I talk to people in the church in different areas more than most of you probably do but God is stirring people There's pockets of people that are being stirred. And this thing's going to come together in a way that it becomes a force that can't be reckoned with. It's why Jesus said that that he would establish his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It's because he knows that when the church walks in the power that it's been given and the authority that the church has been given, Satan himself can't stop what God has preordained is going to happen. I'm fired up about it guys I am I am pumped I feel it listen I feel it in my own life I feel it in my own heart and, and I know it's happening with others and listen a relationship with God is not all about feeling but I'm sorry if the spirit of God is stirring in you you feel something and I know this is happening I want us to look at Isaiah 61 and then where Jesus quotes the the first uh, two some odd verses of Isaiah 61. When he quotes it, I want you to see that he's identifying himself with the person speaking. He's saying, look, this is the ministry I've come to do. This is how I've come to do it. And this is the ministry I'm going to pass on to the church. So even when we read this and see what's happening, we have to remember that when Jesus ascended, he passed on his mission and his authority and the spirit and the power that came with it so that what he began would continue. And so we look at this, the first thing he says is that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He said to proclaim good news to the poor. Who's the poor? The poor, the poor that, yes, physically poor, but more than that, the spiritually impoverished. Those who recognize their sin, those who recognize uh, the the spiritual uh, poverty that they exist in. Because here's the thing. Yes, he speaks about the poor physically, but this is what I know because I've seen it with my own eyes. You can be dirt poor physically and yet your spirit be rejoicing spiritually. You can be super rich physically and be in the deepest, darkest hole spiritually. And he's talking about people who recognize their sin. There's, they recognize they've fallen short. They recognize in themselves that there's a, a need for renewal. There's a need to be made right. And listen, this is huge. They've given up on their own ability to make themselves right with God. And so now they're crying out to him saying, God, you've got to do something because we can't help ourselves. And Jesus says, here's the thing. The good news is for you who cry out, For you who are broken, that's the one I was sent for so that I can proclaim this good news to you that better days are ahead, that I'm about to move in a way that's gonna restore your relationship with God. I'm gonna work in a way that you could have never worked on your own. I'm gonna lift up your eyes to heaven where your help comes from. And even though the circumstances might not all change, I'm gonna raise you up above them so that the joy of the Lord begins to become your strength he says because the lord has anointed me listen he says another reason is because he's been sent to bind up the brokenhearted when he says bind up it's not just some casual walking by tie something together and keep moving the word he uses and the way it's written is a personal it's a personal um encounter It's when he comes to personally um, address the situation. It's when he comes to to meet a need that is there personally, um, intimately. So it's not something that he just casually does. He says, I'm coming to meet with you and to meet you at your deepest need. He says to bind up the brokenhearted. But the brokenhearted are those who are brokenhearted over sin, over the condition of the world. They look at the world around us and we realize this is not what it was intended to be. We recognize that God's being robbed of glory and and our hearts begin to ache and we begin to hurt, not just because we've sinned, but because sin has ravaged the world and the prince of this world has been in control and and, and something begins to happen inside of us where a burden comes and, and there's something in us that we just cry out to God and he says, listen, I'm coming to you to bind up what is broken, to make whole and restore what is broken in your life and in this world. He goes on and says to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness. This has really got a, a twofold purpose in how he says this. One of them is that he's saying, listen, when this, this one who is anointed with the Spirit of God, when he comes and he begins to preach the good news, when the good news begins to go throughout the earth, one of the things that's going to happen is that eyes are going to be open and ears are going to be opened. And he's talking about us beginning to be enlightened by the Spirit, that we see who Christ is. Our eyes are open spiritually, that we can begin to discern truths and what's really true in life and, and in our relationship with God and even the world and then that our ears begin to be open, that we can hear what the spirit is saying that we're no longer driven by the world but we're driven by the voice of God as he leads us along we along we can hear the truth of God so in one sense it's opening eyes and opening ears in another sense it's saying look it's it's bringing the person out of darkness out of bondage He's saying it's not just that eyes are opened and, and ears are open, but once the Spirit opens your eyes and your ears so that you can understand the truth, he's saying that truth brings you into God's light. He brings you out of the darkness, out of this prison of bondage, and he sets you free to walk in the light of God. And so when we look at those three things, he's coming. Uh, With good news for the poor, he's coming to bind up brokenhearted. He's coming with freedom for captives to open their eyes and bring them out of darkness. He's kind of looking at the negative things that are going on, kind of the issues that are there. But then he turns to how this is going to happen, and and he really begins to look at the positive of what's going to take place. In verse 2, he says this, "...to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God." Something I want to point out, really two things, because you can see the grace of God so clearly in this, is that when Jesus quoted this passage in Luke 4, he stopped when he got uh, to the end where it says, uh, the year of the Lord's favor. He didn't continue on to the day of vengeance of our God. Why did he do that? Because Jesus understood why he came. He knew that at this point, he had come uh, for what John three seventeen tells us, that he didn't come in to the world to condemn the world at this point he came into the world to save it and so basically what he's saying and stopping there is he's saying God is so good to you that there's going to be a season of grace that he's going to be calling people to himself so that they have time to repent uh, you know, we should even be in awe and celebrate the fact that God is so patient with us, that He's given us this opportunity, this time of grace before the day of vengeance when all things are judged and made right. He's saying, Look, here is the opportunity. He's saying, Understand this that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But the good news is if you do that now, you don't do it on the day of vengeance. You'll be celebrating his coming. And so we see his grace that way. The other thing is think about this. He says the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance. He's showing us how patient he is how big his grace is that it extends for this long period of time listen that is what we're living in we're living in the year of God's favor the year of God's grace we're living in this time the time that began with Jesus and will go on until he returns for the day of vengeance when he sets all things right and we see this and we see grace When he talks about the year of the Lord's favor, it's specifically looking to what the Jews would have every 50 years. They had what was called the year of Jubilee. They had what was called the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were forgiven. If land had been sold uh, because of debt, it was given back. So there was restoration. Uh, um, The slaves were set free. And the cool thing about this is it happened on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was when the Jews would make a sacrifice for their sin. And so their sin was forgiven for that time because of this sacrifice. What Jesus is saying is, listen... When I come, I'm going to make a sacrifice once and for all that's going to make you one with God because your sin's going to be forgiven. When I do this, your sin debt's going to be paid and forgiven. You're going to begin to be restored back to wholeness and the the image you were created in. in, intended for in the first place and you're going to be set free from bondage to sin, death, hell, the grave, and Satan. So you're set free to do what you were created to do in the first place which is fill the earth with the glory of God. And so it's this picture of restoration. He goes on and says it's a time to comfort those who mourn, those who are mourning over sin, over brokenness, over the the situation and circumstances of the earth. Those who grieve, he's going to provide for. He's going to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. In other words, the Jews would put on sackcloth when they were mourning and when they were grieving. They'd put on this sackcloth stuff and they'd sit down, they'd throw ashes on their head. It was a sign that they were in mourning. And this is what he's saying, listen, I'm going to come to you and instead of you sitting with sackcloth and ashes on your head, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come and meet you at your deepest point of need and I'm going to take the ashes off and I'm going to put a crown on your head, which symbolizes royalty and belonging and authority and power. And he's telling us that I'm going to do such an incredible work, such an incredible thing that the ashes will be gone and I'm replacing it with a crown. What was the deepest need we had? It's our sin that separates us from God. And so Jesus knew I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to do what's needed so that my people no longer have to mourn and wallow in sin and death. They can rejoice because I've set them free from it all. He goes on and says that the oil of joy will come instead of mourning. In other words, you've been mourning the sin, the brokenness, the the hurt, the pain. He said, I'm going to give you this oil of joy. What's the oil represent? The spirit. Think about how lamps would work in ancient days. They would put oil in, they would light the lamp and it would burn. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you this oil. It's going to fill you so that the light burns brightly i'm going to give you my spirit it's going to live in you he's going to work in you he says i'm going to give you a garment of praise the word means to fully envelop you're going to be completely wrapped up in praise instead of this spirit of despair or heaviness the word for despair it literally means like a dimly lit wick It's something that's barely got any fire. It's barely got any glow. And he's saying, I'm going to give you this praise, this spirit of praise. Listen, this is so cool. This is so huge. What he's telling us is, look, your light has almost burned out. And this is where some of us are today. Some of you are in this place. Your light has all but burned out. It's just a flicker of a flame. And I'm telling you, I've been in this place in my life before. Listen, and, and it's almost out. But what he's telling us is that he's going to send his spirit into our lives. And like that lamp, the spirit is going to fill us up like the oil in the lamp. And the light is going to begin to burn brightly again. He says there. These people who are now called Oaks of Righteousness, listen, there's a new name. It's a planting of the Lord. It's done by the Lord. It's for the display of his splendor. It's done by him. So what ends up happening in all of that is that God does a work that gives us a new name, a new nature, and new potential. And that new potential is gonna express itself in becoming rebuilders and restorers if you look at chapter four. He says in this, we're going to begin to rebuild. What are we rebuilding? We're we're going in and becoming rebuilders and restorers of those things that were broken. And I want to encourage some of you with this. He doesn't say we're going to rebuild things that are just a little bit bad or a little bit off or been a little bit destroyed. He says we're going to rebuild things that he's going to do a work that begins to renew the earth in such a way that the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations begin to be restored. He's going to do a work so much so that the ancient ruins begin to be restored. So things in our life, things in the world that have been wrong for generations, he's saying, if you will come to me through my son, if you will walk in the power of the spirit, I can cut these things away from you that have held back generations. I can do a work because of my spirit and the authority that I've given you in a way so that places that have been long forgotten, long thought of as evil, long, uh, long in darkness and coldness. He's saying, I can revive, I can restore, I can rebuild. He's talking about places uh, like our own hearts sometimes that becomes dark and cold. He's saying, I can restore it, I can rebuild it. But it even goes further to places like the Middle East. He's saying, look, even in the Middle East, it's been a disaster forever. But if my church, who is called by my name, will stand up in the power and authority of my spirit and the name of Jesus, then I can even begin to do a work there that will bring me glory. He's talking about places like Africa that's been poverty stricken. It's been been, uh, uh, just dark in many places and evil with ancestral worship and all of this stuff. He's saying, listen, if my church would just start swinging and keep on swinging, then what's going to ultimately happen is even in places like Africa, as I send them there, as I put them there, then what's going to happen is those places are going to begin to praise my name. Russia, North Korea. And listen, if this sounds too good to be true, I'm not the one saying it. God says it from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. In all these places that God would be made known. If you go through verses 5 through 9, it's really about how God's going to do such a work in his people that nations are going to begin to come to serve them. And when they come to serve because they recognize God's hand is on them, then, then we as Israel, as spiritual Israel, as those who come to faith in Christ, we begin to minister to them and they begin to come to the knowledge of Jesus. So we become ministers to the nations. Verse 10, it's about a person who has seen all this, experienced all this, and he's delighting in the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He's saying, this is this is so amazing that I've now been clothed with garments of salvation. I've been arrayed in a robe of righteousness. And he goes on and says this. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make Righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And when we look at this, this is incredible. Because how do we know it's going to happen? Because the sovereign Lord has said so. And the author says this, Isaiah writes it, and he says, just like the the sprout comes up and just like the garden it produces and the seed comes up, He's saying the sovereign Lord. In other words, if this is true of the soil and this is true of the garden, how much more true is it of the creator of it all? I want you to see all this happens. So that righteousness, what is right, what is good, not just in us. He's not interested in behavior modification. He's interested in heart transformation. He's interested in us in being so transformed that our purpose for living changes. Our purpose for existing changes. And out of us and in this world, righteousness, what is right, begins to be displayed. And that the world begins to praise Him. And I'm telling you, church, if we can understand and catch a glimpse and begin to walk in uh, the understanding of the one that goes before us, the one that goes behind us, the one that goes beside us, and the one that dwells in us, we will realize that if we keep swinging in the authority and the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can knock down the walls of darkness, we can knock down the walls of poverty, we can knock down the walls that have separated people for for generations. Things can be corrected, but it will only be corrected through the Spirit of God, working through His people to go and to bring others into the light. And I'm telling you, church, if we'll step into it, if we'll begin to walk in it, we'll be realize that our purpose is greater than me. It's greater than what happens in these four walls. It's not intended to stay here. In fact, it, we're supposed to just bring it with us, and it goes with us when we're gone. And if we could just see this and understand this, it'll begin to change everything. It's got to be an awakening. This chapter begins with the sovereign Lord. He says, His spirit is on me. It ends with the sovereign Lord who will make righteousness and praise. See, he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. If you're saved, he's the one who saved you. He's the one whose hand is on us, his hand. And and it's his anointing that he puts on our lives. See, it's not just Jesus who carries this anointing of the Spirit. It's all Christians, all believers have been anointed, filled with the Spirit of God to proclaim his truth and love and grace and mercy and power to the world. But I fear this, I know this that we've become a lot like Nazareth in the church. We've become so familiar with Jesus that we're not really that much in awe of him anymore. And this familiarity has caused us to stop short of who God wants us to become. Of what God wants to do through his people. We've got to get our eyes back on the sovereign Lord. We've got to recognize that there's nothing too great for him to do. And I said this last week. I believe it again this week. That the way this is going to happen is when we begin to cry out to him. How do we cry out to him in worship and in prayer? How do we cry out? We we cry out to God over the brokenness of the world. God, come and restore. Come and heal. Come and rebuild, God. That this earth would be filled with your glory, with your name. We cry out and we worship and we pray, and that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to cry out. Listen. I want you listen this is this is the only thing that any of us could be expected to do. In this time, I want you to respond to God the way He prompts you to respond. I want you to open your ears and and, and ask the Spirit Spirit speak and let me hear. God open my eyes that I can see. Give me a spirit of enlightenment that I can see the richness of your grace even more. God draw me in that I can go out. We're going to begin to worship. We're going to praise. Listen, I don't know where you got to be. It's 1210. But we're going to worship. We're going to praise. And I believe this, guys. I know I say press in. If we'll pursue. If we'll press. If we'll sing. If we'll pray. If we'll cry out. If it comes from our heart, not just from our lips. We're going to see God do some amazing things. Because God is going to fulfill his plan on this earth, in this community, in this nation, and in this world. And if the church will step up in the power and the authority that has been given, we'll quit looking to the government to do what we should have been doing a long time ago. Father, we come right now to worship you. We lift our voices and more in that, Elder. We lift our hearts. God, that our, our, our lips wouldn't praise you and our hearts be far from you. But God, today, we lay it before you. God, we want to respond the way you prompt us. If it's sitting and being quiet, if it's standing, if it's closing eyes, if it's raising hands, whatever it is, God. We want to posture ourselves in a way that is glorifying to you. In a way that allows us to hear your voice. And God, you just move in our hearts. But God, that it wouldn't stop with us. That it would go out of here. And that this world would be restored, rebuilt, and renewed to your goal.